and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And as we've been coming through the gospel of Matthew together, we find ourselves this morning at chapter 20, verse 29 through 34. This is not a very difficult passage to understand. And so I want to encourage as we read this together and as we take time to meditate on it together. And we're literally going to do that this morning. We're going to take time to just let this text wash over us, just phrase by phrase by phrase by phrase and let God's word wash over us and ask. I'm about to ask the Lord, the Lord in just a minute uh, that we would be able to see Christ and not just see Christ and, and the facts about him, but to see his glory, that we would be um, filled with adoration for who Christ is and what he's like as we read this text and meditate on it together. So uh, let's read it, and then we'll pray to that end. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold... There were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this, for your word, and specifically for this passage. And Lord, we praise you that your, your word is given to us, Lord. We're not left in the dark about who you are, Lord Jesus, or what you're like. So God, please give us eyes to see. Lord, for anyone here today who is lost, that they are without you, Lord, I pray, God, that in the same way that you open the eyes of these blind men, that you would open their eyes to see wondrous things about Christ. And Father, I pray for us all, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your law. Help us to see, Lord. Help us to see. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, I want us to take this passage just phrase by phrase and just let it uh, wash over us, the truth that's found here. So if you look at verse 29, we're going to start right there. It says, And as they went out of Jericho, 
a great crowd followed him. So they went out of Jericho, and a great crowd was following him. Now remember, remember where he's headed. Remember where uh, he, alongside uh, his disciples and these crowds, remember where they're going. Their next step is Jerusalem. It's about a 15-mile uphill hike. Uh, he's headed there to his final earthly destination, uh, really to the peak of his earthly ministry. He's headed there to, Jer to Jerusalem to do the hardest thing that any human has ever done. Immeasurable suffering. He's going to go to Jerusalem and die on a cross and come under suffering that no human has ever suffered under before. Suffering that is the eternal wrath of God that's due sinners. And he's going to take it onto himself. He's going to die in our place like a lamb slaughtered. This is his destination. This is where he's headed. And that death on a cross is meant to accomplish a victory. It's meant to, it's meant to accomplish something. He's going to save a people for himself by dying for their sins. And through that death, redeeming them. And so he's leaving Jericho. He's leaving Jericho. Now, the crowds probably don't understand, the crowds that are around him, they probably don't understand all the, the details about what's happening and where they're going into Jerusalem. But there is this sort of, uh, this air of expectation. And we'll know that from the next passage. There's this expectation that this one, there's something big about this one that they're following into Jerusalem. Something big is happening here. They're expecting something. Now, Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Every detail of the suffering, the cup of God's wrath that he's going to drink down, he knows it all. And he set his face like Flint. He's leaving Jericho, and he's about to head to Jerusalem. So remember where he's going. Remember where he's going. Now, it says here a great crowd is following him. Now, that helps us picture it, doesn't it? So you imagine them, these great crowds coming through Jericho, these great crowds headed out towards Jerusalem. Helps you kind of picture the scene. Now, this would have been a mighty Jewish crowd. They're headed to Jerusalem for Passover, for the celebration of the Passover. They would be coming from all over the place, all over Israel. Here come these Jews. They're pilgrims coming into Jerusalem, and they sort of bottleneck at these certain places that are close to Jerusalem. And so you got some in this crowd that are, you know, from the very beginning, they're, they're following Jesus to Jerusalem for the Passover. And you got some in this crowd that are just delighted to have bumped into him along the way. But here are these big crowds headed into Jerusalem. Now they're going to celebrate the Passover, like I said, and I would say that most of them are absolutely ignorant of who exactly this is that they're going to Passover with. Think about who they're going to Passover with. Now many people would have known him as a prophet. They would have known him as a famous rabbi. They would have known him as a miracle worker, and they may even have acknowledged him as a Messiah, as the Christ, although their understanding of the Christ might have been a little skewed. But they would have recognized all these things. But listen, this is what I think they would have, most of them would have missed. They are traveling to the celebration of the Passover with the Passover lamb. You remember Passover. You can go read about it. The beginnings of it, Exodus 12, Exodus 13, that this lamb was to be slaughtered. 
and the blood of that lamb put over the, the doorpost so that when the destroyer comes by, he sees the blood and passes over you and the plague won't be on you to destroy you. And there's this celebration every year. Another one slaughtered. Another one slaughtered. Another one slaughtered. Another lamb slaughtered. And every single Passover lamb that's been slaughtered for a thousand plus years pointed to this one Passover lamb that's headed to the last Passover. Jesus himself. John the Baptist said, behold, that's the lamb of God. Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Verse 30. Verse 30 says, and behold, and behold, that means, that word means, look, it's getting your attention, behold, look, the Holy Spirit's trying to get our attention on something by this word in this passage, behold, listen up, look at this, now you think about that with all the buildup. With all the expectation of where, where Jesus is heading and, and what he's about to do, what he's about to accomplish. All that expectation and what does the Holy Spirit want you to stop and consider for just a moment? Two blind beggars. Two blind beggars. And that might shock some of us in here. It definitely shocked the crowds. And maybe that means we got a lot more in common with the crowds than we like to admit. But that's a shocking thing. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. Hold on just a minute. I want you to behold. I want you to consider these two, these two blind men. Next phrase in verse 30. says, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. These were blind men. These were afflicted men. It's hard being blind. And especially in this culture... Hard to be blind. A very difficult thing. How do they take care of themselves in this culture especially? And it says they're sitting by the roadside, which means they're beggars. They're begging by the roadside. The other gospel accounts of this story make that really clear. They're begging by the roadside. They're asking for alms. They're taking advantage of these, you know, Passover's coming. So you got all these crowds coming through, headed to Jerusalem. They're taking advantage of that, sitting by the roadside. More people will come by than normal. Maybe people will be willing to, to be a little more generous than normal. So they're sitting by the roadside, and they're begging. One of them, we know from the other Gospels, one of, their, one of the, these blind men, their, their name is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, the, the Gospel of Mark, I believe, tells us is the son of uh, Timaeus. So his name is Bartimaeus. These are forgotten men. No one pays attention to men like this, especially not famous rabbis. They don't pay attention to men like this, right? Forgotten men on the roadside, especially a king. Would a king passing by pay attention to two blind beggars begging on the roadside? And especially the Messianic king, the Daniel 7 king, the son of David, the son of man that's going to rule the whole earth and all nations. Would he pay attention to two blind beggars? That's what we'll see in just a moment. Keep going in verse 30. Still look at verse 30. Next phrase. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by. 
Now, what do you think about that? Two blind men, blind beggars sitting by the roadside, and it says, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, what did they hear? They're sitting by the roadside. What did they hear? The Gospel of Luke says, hearing a crowd going by. So they're hearing the busyness of this crowd, the noise of this crowd. You see, the noise starts to, starts to increase some. It's like the excitement of this crowd. And they're hearing about this. They hear it happening. And they begin to ask, what's going on here? So imagine these two blind men sitting by the roadside. What's going on? Why all the excitement? Why is the noise increasing? Why are these crowds going by? And so they begin to ask, according to the Gospel of Luke, he inquired what this meant. He inquired what this meant. In other words, what's the fuss all about? He can't see with his eyes. He can't see and find out. So he's asking the crowds around him, what's going on? What's the fuss all about? And someone tells him Jesus is passing by. Jesus is passing by. That's what the fuss is all about. This man, Jesus, is passing by. Now, now their response, the response of these two blind men, blind men are going to make it clear that this is not the first time they've heard of Jesus. So if you think about what their response was when they realized Jesus is passing by, it, it shows you that they're, they're not a, this is not a man they've never heard of before. They've heard of this Jesus. What have they heard about him? What had they heard about Jesus of Nazareth? Surely they'd heard about his miracles. You remember Matthew 4 told us that his fame began to spread. And at this point, man, his fame has spread everywhere. They heard about his miracles, about him cleansing the lepers, about the sick that were healed. Maybe they heard about that storm that he said, peace be still. And he just stopped the mega storm in his tracks. Maybe they heard about his teaching. Somebody heard his teaching and passed it along to these blind men. Or these blind men overheard some people talking about the kind of things that Jesus is saying. Maybe they heard about the kind of disciples Jesus was choosing. Not the men of high society. No, he's choosing, he's choosing fishermen. And this old tax collector. Maybe that produced some sort of hope in them. This great Man, this great miracle-working uh, man is, is choosing these kind of men as his disciples? I wonder, and, and this is just speculation, but hear me out on it. In Matthew 9, there was something that happened earlier in Jesus' ministry, and I wonder if they heard about it. Matthew 9, verse 27, listen to this. And Jesus passed on from there... And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him. Sound familiar? Crying, what were these two blind men saying? Have mercy on us, son of David. And you can read the rest of the story. The Lord has mercy on him and saves him. Could it be that these two blind men, as Jesus is coming out of Jericho, had heard about that? They're saying the exact same thing. Have mercy on the son of David. Did they hear that story? Had they ever gone to the Father in prayer and prayed about this man, Jesus? Father, is this the Messiah? Is this the one? He healed those two blind men. Lord, would he heal us? Father, will he heal us? Maybe they had asked the Father if he was the the son of David. 
Now you imagine this, okay? They had heard of this man, and the very moment they realized, somebody tells them, Jesus is passing by. And the very moment they realize Jesus is passing by, what do you think happens in their hearts? What happens in their hearts in that moment? Joy and wonder. <laughs> this is the one we've heard about. We've dreamed of a chance to meet this one, and he's here. He's nearby. I can't see him, but he's close by. You can imagine the joy and the wonder of Jesus being nearby beginning to give way to desperation. To desperation. We've got to get his attention. We, he's passing by. Our passage here says Jesus was passing by. He's going by. We've got to get his attention. Desperation. If you're here today and you don't have Jesus, and that's the way it says it in 1 John. There's people that have Jesus and there's people that don't have Jesus. Okay, Lost and saved. Uh, condemned and rescued, delivered. So if you're here today and you don't have Jesus, I want to encourage you to look at these two blind men as an example for you. Feel the desperation that they felt. Jesus is passing by. If you're lost here today, I, I, I don't know all, I don't know the reason that, uh, that you're here at this church gathering today. But you need to understand that to come to a church gathering with the people of God, Jesus promises to be with us. It's like he's passing you by today. And I want to encourage you not to be silent, but to cry out like these blind men. Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me. Look at what they did. Verse 30. They cried out, Lord, next phrase in verse 30, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Man, that's a beautiful moment. You imagine those words piercing the air. <laughs> Can you imagine that? The noise of the crowd, just loud all around, all that noise is going down, and then there's something that jolts through the air. And it's so loud that it disturbs the crowds all around him. Mercy, son of David, mercy's crying out with a loudness and with a desperation. And this isn't any kind of cry. This is a cry of faith. This is a cry of faith. And here's what I mean. These two blind men are believing some things about Jesus that other people around them can't seem to grasp. We know that from what they said. This is a cry of faith. These two men are believing. They're believing some things about Jesus that other men around them don't seem to be able to grasp. Now, let me say that a little bit different way. Let me say that a different way. They are seeing things that others can't see. Man, who's really blind here? They're seeing things about Christ that other people can't see. The ones that have no eyes to see are seeing. And the ones that have eyes to see are blind. You think about the rich young ruler. There's a lot of comparison between the way the rich young ruler responds and the way these two blind men respond to Jesus. And you think about that. What if the rich young ruler, we already came to that passage, what if he, what if he just had eyes to see? Man, he would have seen the value of Jesus so valuable, so glorious, so beautiful that when Jesus says, go sell it all and come follow me, he just, that's a no-brainer. Yes, Lord. 
Nothing's as valuable as him. But he couldn't see it. He was blind. But these men had eyes to see. Now, what were the two blind men seeing with their eyes of faith, their spiritual eyes? The Bible talks about physical eyes and spiritual eyes. What were they seeing about Jesus with their spiritual eyes? They were seeing, listen to what they said. They were seeing him as Lord, Son of David. In other words, they're not coming to him as just some healer. That's the healer. He'll heal us. No, no. That's, this is the Lord. This is the Son of David. Now, we've talked about this so much coming through Matthew because Matthew focuses on it. Doesn't, doesn't this, you've seen that in this gospel, right? That the Son of David, there was a promise given to David. That David, through your lineage, is going to come one of your sons that's going to be king forever, eternal king, king over the whole world. His authority and his rule will be on every nation, tribe, and tongue, and it will never end. That's the son of David. I want to read a verse to you. This is in Ezekiel 34. Now, I'm not saying that these two blind men knew this exact verse, but it's just good because all over the Old Testament is stuff about this covenant with David, this promise to David, the, the, the son that's coming through David, this king that's coming all, all across the Old Testament, in the Psalms, and the prophets, in the history, all of it. And here's one that, that I think gets forgotten too often. Listen to it. Ezekiel 34, verse 22. God says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd. My servant, David. Now, if you know your Bible chronology, right? The time, you know, the time here of, of where everything is set. David's been long dead at this point. David's dead. So here God says, I'm going to set over my people one shepherd, my servant David. Who's he talking about? That promised son of David. And he shall feed them. Those false shepherds aren't feeding them, but he'll, he'll feed them. And be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. He's going to rule. I'm the Lord. I have spoken. This is the one that they had faith in. He's the son of David. He's the son of David. And not only that, let me mention one other thing. What's their faith? What do they see him with the eyes of faith? Lord, son of David, king forever, shepherd of Israel. They see him that way. But they also see him as the merciful one. Right? They're crying out to him for mercy. And, and they actually believe that this this Messiah, this son of David, will, will be willing to show us mercy. Now, maybe they just know that, you know, maybe they know that from the stories that they heard, the healing of those other two blind men, or, or the way he cleansed the lepers. Just, maybe they just know it from that, maybe that's where their faith's coming from, I don't know. But there's definitely an Old Testament basis uh, all over the Old Testament for this. I want to read one verse. I wonder if they knew it. Isaiah 42, verse 16, listen to this, about the coming Messiah. And I will lead the blind. <laughs> I hope they do it. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. 
in paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. Everybody else did. I don't forsake them. <laughs> and they see this about Jesus. He's son of David, merciful one. He's the ruler of the nations and, and, and the one that leads the blind in the place they don't know. That gives them light. This cry was a cry of faith. Now what did the crowds do? Look at the next phrase, verse 31. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. All the crowds around, they're screaming out, and then they get rebuked by the crowds. The crowds are telling them to hush, to be quiet. Now, why do the crowds do this? Why do the crowds do this? Well, I think an immediate reason is probably that it's just... It's annoying, right? You got this loud cry from this roadside beggar going out. Maybe they're, you know, Jesus used to always teach as he walked. Maybe they're trying to hear his teaching, and here's this one crying out loud. So maybe it's just annoying. But I think the bigger picture here is blindness. Again, spiritual blindness on behalf of the crowds. They can't see what the blind men see about Jesus, especially his mercy. Especially that he would care about two blind beggars. They can't see that with the, with the blind beggars are seeing. And what we're about to find out is they also can't see what Jesus sees in these two blind beggars. Why would he give them any attention? And so just like the, remember the disciples, they thought that they were doing Jesus a favor. Hey, keep those children. Keep, keep those children away from Jesus. He's too busy for that. And Jesus rebukes them and says, let them children come to me. And just like that, here's the crowd. He didn't have time. Just, man, stop. Be quiet. He didn't have time. He's too busy for two blind beggars here. This is another example of Jesus flipping everything on his head, right? And he's flipping everything upside down. Don't let those children go to Jesus. No, let them come to me. Oh, a rich, young ruler. Wealthy, influential. Man, he could really help Jesus and advance his cause. Bring him there. Jesus, why'd you run him off? Two blind beggars. Get them out of here. That's the crowds. Get them out of here. They looked down on these men. They belittled these men. But look what they did. Next phrase. The two blind men. But they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Man, again, just try to imagine that. They just get louder. They just, get, they just stay persistent. They just keep it coming. Be quiet. Have mercy on the son of David. Just louder. <laughs> They're desperate. I think uh, when, I, when I read that, I thought about David in the Old Testament dancing before the Lord. He didn't give a rip what anybody else around him thought. And here's these two blind men. They don't, they don't care what the crowds think. I got to get his attention. I got to get to Christ. I don't care what the crowds think that are around me. Have mercy, son of David. I love this. Don't let the crowd stop you. Don't let the crowd stop you from getting to Christ. There are many people 
that are in hell right now because they cared more about what the crowds thought than Jesus. You don't believe me? Read John chapter 12, verse 42 and 43. It says they, they believed things about Jesus that was right, but they wouldn't confess him. You know why they wouldn't confess him? They didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. And it says, it says this, it says, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And they went to hell. These men aren't letting the crowds keep them from Christ. <laughs> and neither should you. Verse 32 says, And stopping, again, just let these words wash over you. Come on, lean into this passage. Look at this. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? So Jesus stops. Now that's amazing. If you just could get yourself into this scene for a moment, that's a beautiful, beautiful moment where the crowds are telling them to be quiet. Imagine that. He's walking. He's, he's, he's passing on by, coming out of Jericho, headed to his destination. He's about to accomplish massive things. There he goes by, and the crowds are saying, be quiet. And Jesus stops, and he hears their voice. What stops Jesus in his tracks? Is it big crowds? No, he kept walking. Is it a wealthy, influential ruler? No, that doesn't stop him in his tracks. There's a verse, you've heard me quote it many times, Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2. God says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Look how massive he is. Where's the house that you'll build me? Where's the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. All these things exist, says the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one to whom I will look. The one who's humble and crushed in spirit and who trembles at my word. Maybe like these bondmen. It stops him in his tracks. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth. Lord, where will your eyes land? Where will your eyes stop? On the one whose heart is loyal to him. And is this what we see here? Two blind men getting the attention of the Lord Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. I love this quote. Believing cries can hold the Son of God by the feet. Know that about your Savior. It is stopped for the crowds. It is stopped for the influential, for the wealthy, for the rich, for the rulers. No, no. Believing cries, faith-filled cries from the lowly. Grab the Savior's feet. It stops him in his tracks. This is where he gives his attention. And then our passage says, And stopping, Jesus called him, called them. So imagine, it, it, uh, he can't ask the question yet. He's got to call them to himself first. We see that really clearly in the other Gospels. So he calls them. Says, Can you imagine this? When Jesus called them, what do you think happened in those blind men's hearts? The moment Jesus called them to come, what do you think happened in their hearts in that moment? And I think we could get a little picture of it from Mark's account. Listen to this from Mark chapter 10, verse 50. Jesus called. The crowds are saying, man, he's calling you. He's calling you. Go. And it says this. It says, throwing off his cloak. to my Bartimaeus. He sprang up and came to Jesus. 
Man, that's a wild response. <laughs> that's full of joy. Get this cloak off me. Springing up in excitement. Think about it, he's blind, right? These men are blind, so the crowds better get out of the way. He's springing up with excitement. I mean, I just imagine him bumping into people on the way. I got to get to that voice. He said, I could come. And then Jesus asked him a question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, Jesus, Jesus already knows. Jesus already knows that he want, you know, what, he wants, what they want him to do for them. He already knows, but he wants them to voice it. He wants the crowds to hear it. He's setting the scene. What do you want me to do for you? That's the question. And what's their, what's their response? Look at it in verse 33. They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. Hey, man, if you could just put yourself in this, in this scene. Like, they can't see. And it seems like from what follows, they mainly want to see Jesus. They want to follow Jesus. I can't follow him if I can't see where he goes. Because you keep reading, they follow him. So I love this prayer. Lord, let our eyes be open. Lord, let our eyes be open. I just, we want to see, Lord. And so the request has been made. The blind men are waiting. The crowds are looking on. They got their eyes locked on Jesus. What's Jesus going to do right here? What's he going to do? And it tells us in verse 34. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately, immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Beautiful stuff about Jesus in that, little, in that little verse. Let's do it again. Beautiful stuff about Jesus. Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. He didn't ignore them. He didn't ignore them. He gives time and attention to the forgotten ones. It's beautiful things about Christ. He's full of compassion. It says Jesus in pity, in compassion, in mercy. Touches these guys, touches their eyes. What mercy, what love, what compassion to the forgotten, to the lowly. It's beautiful. He's a king, but he's not a hard king. He's a compassionate king. He's mighty in power. The moment he touches their eyes, they see can you imagine that? All they've got is darkness. They can't see a thing. And then in a moment, they see light and they see faces. And they see the world around them. They can see now. Beautiful, beautiful things about Jesus here. Now there's a poem. There's a poem that I read that I think expresses the beauty of this really well. And I want to read it to you. It's from John Newton. And if you know who John Newton is, he was in the, in the late 1700s, a Christian pastor. He's famous for a lot of things, one of them being writing the song Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. And ironically, he went blind later in his life. This is his poem about this story. It captures it well. Mercy, O thou son of David, thus blind 
Bartimaeus prayed. Others by your word are saved. Now to me afford your aid. Many for his crying chided him. But he called the louder still. Till the gracious Savior bid him come and ask me what you will. Money was not what he wanted. Though by begging he used to live. But he asked and Jesus granted alms which none but he could give. Lord, remove this grievous blindness. Let my eyes behold the day. Straight he saw. And one by kindness followed Jesus in the way. Oh, I think I hear him praising Publishing all around. Friends, is not my case amazing? What a Savior I found. Man, that's what this is supposed to do to you. What a Savior. What a Savior I found. He goes on. Oh, that all the blind but knew him and would be advised by me. Surely would they hasten to him and he would cause them all to see. He would cause them all to see. What a beautiful Savior. And this passage ends by saying that they not only received their sight, but they received their sight and they followed him. Remember where he's going. Remember what's happening. And they, right alongside his disciples, they followed him. Of course he did. He's got eyes to see him now. Not only spiritual eyes, but physical eyes. Okay, let me give just a couple applications from this text, okay? Just a couple applications from this text. Number one, it should be obvious, look at Jesus and imitate him. Look at Jesus and imitate him. Uh, there's two parts to that. Look at Jesus, imitate him. Don't skip the first part. Don't skip the looking. Don't just try to imitate him, but skip the gazing upon him. You must do that. It's the only way to imitate him. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, We all, to my Christians, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. It means you're seeing his glory. You're seeing the glory of Jesus. And beholding his glory are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. And so how do you imitate him? How do you become more like him? You've got to gaze upon him and gaze upon him and see him and, and know what he's like and love it. So look at him and imitate him. Look at how he gravitates towards the afflicted. And the forgotten, imitate him in that. Left to yourself, you'll give the rich and the influential your attention, never the beggar. Left to yourself, you'll gravitate towards the popular crowds and never the destitute. Imitate his compassion, his love, his mercy for the lowly. I want to encourage you, Grace Community Church, to obey this verse. I'm not going to nuance it for you. You can nuance it yourself. Luke 14 verse 12 says, And he said also to the man who had invited him, Listen, when you give a banquet, do not invite your friends 
or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and, and, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Man, the crowds were surprised he stopped. Jesus, Jesus, you stopped for these two. I know what you're going to do. You're the son of David. I know where you're headed. And, and you stopped for these two blind beggars. Man, imitate him in that. Look at Jesus and imitate him in that. I commend that passage to you. Luke 14, verse 12 through 14, for obedience. Now, second, second application, and we'll close here. I want to encourage you to, to know the importance of spiritual sight. Understand and know the importance of spiritual sight. Now, the reason, so this is a passage about physical blindness and physical sight. But why would it make us think about, why, why, why do I think it makes us think about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight? Well, one reason is broad. This is the way Jesus does his miracles, right? Jesus' miracles could have been anything. He could turn the, the moon green if he wanted to. Look at this. Sign and wonder. Turn the moon green, right? He could have levitated. He could have done anything that he wanted to do for a sign and for a wonder. But the kind of miracles he, he does point to spiritual realities. When he opens deaf ears, there are spiritual ears that need to be opened. When he opens blind eyes, there are spiritual eyes that need to be opened. When he raises the dead, there are the spiritually dead that need to be raised. So his miracles always point to this. But in the passage itself, just the fact that we see these blind men seem to have spiritual sight... And right after they're given physical sight, they prove it by following him. And it's linked together. They receive their sight and they follow him. So I think our attention should be, brought to, should be uh, uh, drawn to spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. Now that's a really important concept to grasp. Spiritual sight's a really important concept to grasp. grasp. Spiritual blindness is a root problem. I want to make sure you understand that. Spiritual blindness is a root problem. It's talked about in the Old Testament. Let me just read one verse to you. This is Jeremiah 5, verse 21. You can hear him talking about spiritual blindness. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not who have ears but hear not do you not fear me see that lack of fear in God it's, it's, it's spiritual blindness you got eyes but you can't see and they don't fear God do you not tremble before me if you don't tremble before God and fear God it's because what's the root problem you are blind Jesus talks about this in Mark 8 18 having eyes they do not see Having eyes they do not see, it's a root problem. Just like I said earlier, what if, what's the root problem? What if the rich young ruler had spiritual eyes to see Jesus? What if he could see? What if the blindness was taken away? What would it mean for him? He'd leave it all and follow Christ because he sees how valuable he is. So it's a root problem. 
Why are lost people lost and why are saved people saved? Can I share another verse with you? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Veiled, you can't see it. Now that's not saying lost people can't intellectually understand some bullet points about the gospel. It's veiled meaning it's not valuable to you. It's not beautiful to you. It's not glorious to you. It's veiled. If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, little g, talking about the enemy, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. The root problem, a root problem. Their minds are blinded. They can't see the beauty of the gospel. Verse 6, why are saved people saved? For God, who said... Let light shine out of darkness. Remember that? It was dark and he said, let there be light. Let light shine out of darkness. That same God has shown in our hearts, shown a light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why are we saved? God, open our eyes. The blind can see the glory of Christ now. This is a root issue. And so if you're lost here today, or if you're praying for someone that's lost, you need to understand that one of the ways to describe the deepest problem that lost people have is that they are blind and they need to come to Jesus that opens blind eyes. Think about, and this testimony of my own life, is the, is the Bible boring to you? Is it just boring to you? It's not because you're just not a good reader. It's blindness. Is, is G, you know, I respect Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he's a good man. He's a good teacher. I respect Jesus. But you're not very enthusiastic about Jesus. That's not just a personality thing. I guarantee you're enthusiastic about something. It's a blindness. You can't see his beauty. And so I just want to, I want you to consider a contrast in closing. Especially as you think about, if, if you're here and you're lost today, or if you're thinking about preaching the gospel or praying for someone who's lost, let me just put a contrast in front, in front of you. You've heard me say it several times. Rich young ruler versus these two blind men. Would the rich young ruler call Jesus? Teacher. Just a mere teacher. Good teacher. What the blind man call him? Lord, son of David, my king, my Lord. That's different. One's blind, one can see. What would the, would the rich young ruler say? What must I do that I can inherit eternal life? He thought he could do something to have eternal life. Would the, would the two blind men say, oh, have mercy. I can't do anything. I just need mercy. One's, one's got eyes to see. Spiritual eyes. One's blind. And then what did the rich man do? When, that, when Jesus said, come follow me, what did the rich man do? He chose his stuff over Christ. He thought his riches, oh, he's so blind. He thought his riches were more valuable than Jesus. So he chose to keep his stuff and not sell all that he had and walk away from Christ. But what did the blind man do? Man, cast off the cloak, get that cloak off of me, spring up, I'm going to Christ, I'm going to follow him, I'll lose it all for him. Blindness or sight?
And we need to see the importance of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and letting us sit in this passage for a little while. And Lord, I trust that you have helped us. You helped us to understand. You helped us to see the glory of Christ. God, we praise you for open and blind eyes, especially those spiritually blind eyes. Lord, we were, we were, we were lost, Lord. Blind, but now we see. God, we praise you for the compassion and the love that you showed in these two blind men and that you've shown all across this church. You're so full of power to open blind eyes. You're so, you're so full of mercy and love, Lord, to care for us. Lord, I pray that you'd fill our hearts with trust in Christ. And Father, you would make us more like your son. We love you and we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.